You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. There's no reason to become alarmed, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Welcome to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence Podcast. This is your pilot, John Lafferty with Century 21 Town & Country. And co-pilot, Tony Abate with Ross Mortgage. And we are your real estate pilots. Our job is to be your real estate advocate and also make sure you're educated about the buying and selling process. We'll keep you informed throughout until we get you safely closed. In a real estate transaction, there are many reasons why you can encounter turbulence. If you're buying a home, condo, or thinking about it. You don't want to miss today's episode. Today, again, we'll be talking homeowner's insurance from the time you call an insurance agent until you close on the purchase of your new home. We'd like to welcome in again Christine Sahosky, who is in the jump seat again today with Custom Insurance Agency, a true professional who strives to help homeowners avoid turbulence during and after closing on their home. Christine, welcome back. Thanks, John. Thanks again, Tony. Glad to have you. All right. So we we left off last time talking about different things that buyers should maybe look for when they're out shopping for a home and take into consideration maybe when they make their offer, trying to anticipate any repairs that an insurance company may require them to make uh, before or after close. Um, So I thought today what what we'd do is maybe dig in a little bit more about what helps you determine if any riders, options, uh, different types of coverage uh, a buyer should add to a home? Um, do you take into consideration area, age of the home? Um, just some of the things that you as an insurance agent might think about when you're bringing up coverage options with a buyer and might really recommend to them, even if they say, you know, Christine, I I don't think I, I want that coverage. I, I don't want to pay the extra money. Um, and I'm assuming that you, when you believe in something as a good coverage for them, that's your, that's your intent is to make sure they're covered. So just to kind of give us a flavor of how you go about determining that. Absolutely. Well, and the first thing off the top of my head and the big thing off the top of my head would be water backup. Um, some of us have some pumps, some of us don't. But guess what? We all have drains, whether we have a basement or not, which means we have sinks, we have toilets, we have tubs, we have drains. And so when writing a policy and knowing the area, um, I, I definitely strive on writing some water backup coverage. I give the client their options, how much coverage a deductible to work with. Um, I teach them kind of 101, the understanding of water backup coverage. Water backup is not a flood. Two different animals. So, Christine, I'm sorry, though. So water backup in general is something that's not normally part of a policy? It depends on the policy plan that is Mm -hmm. chosen. So uh, it can be an option or it can be included. I have clients, a most recent client who finished his basement, who wanted to increase what he typically had of $10,000 worth of coverage up to $60,000 because he spent a lot of money in the basement. Mm -hmm. And so I had to actually rewrite the policy from one carrier to another to get him, with approval, 
that amount of coverage for water backup. It's it's important. It's very, very important. We have dishwashers too, the majority of us, you know. So water backup, you're right. A lot of people, they might not, you know, I never had it. I never had a problem. You know, they're renewing their policies, let's say, and they, they've never had a problem. And I understand. But all it does is take one. And on the average, it might be $10 a month. Get you ten thousand in coverage. Wasn't that what happened in two thousand fourteen? Is a lot of people may have had flood insurance, but they didn't have backup insurance. And when their basement was flooded, as it was determined, they came up through the the, the drains in the basement, backed up. Yeah. What they weren't covered. Yeah. Um. Actually, as far as flood insurance, not er- it, flood insurance is determined by the area. The flood, if you are in a flood zone area. And I believe, Tony, that comes up when you purchase the home. Am I right? It, it does. Yeah. 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 When we, when we do mortgages, we have to, we have to pull what's called the flood certification. And, uh, it goes for any mortgage that is $10,000 or greater, which is pretty much any mortgage, <laughs> right? Uh, and if it's in a flood zone that, uh, that requires flood insurance, it's not our call. That transaction requires the flood insurance in order for that transaction to close. It's not something that we can, you have latitude on. Right. So that flood policy is over and above the homeowner's insurance policy. Okay. But um, a lot of us don't live in a flood zone area. And for those of us who don't, I, oh, my, I, my, I encourage all my clients to have water backup coverage. Um, and you can play with the premium based on the deductible, but I mean, it is a peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Does that water backup also cover mm-hmm. sump pump failure? It does. Okay, so. Yes, that's... which also leads to mold or fungi. So mm-hmm. we have policies. Water, oh my, if you have a water claim, there's water in your basement, you want, one, want to keep all your valuables up off the floor. Two, your basement is finished. That drywall acts like a sponge. So what you need, you, you need to jump on it immediately. Because mold kicks in, the drywall, again, acts like a sponge, so it works its way up the drywall. And so now you're looking at remediation costs, too. I, I'm, I, since, since we're going down this path, I'm, I'm just curious. If you have a homeowner who second floor plumbing fails – and floods the entire first floor and basement and ruins everything. Is that just under your normal homeowner's policy at that well, point? Of course, that's a you know a question for claims. But we actually had one oh, like that. I yeah, going to do it. And I <laughs> did she it. it. Yeah, too. It was a question for claims. But back though, a few years back, we had a second floor, you know, um, bathroom. And, uh, yeah, water came down on the grand piano, made oh a mess. But, Christine, it, doesn't it also matter? There's a distinction between a leak from a leaky pipe versus a leak from a sudden burst pipe. Is that right. A, yeah. So this is, this is where the claims come in. They mm-hmm. kind of know. They have the tools to actually see how it happened. Yeah. They Forensics. inspect. Yeah, <laughs> they inspect the situation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's claims. So there's no clear cut. I mean, there's, oh, yes, you have to get the adjuster out there and they do their job, their due diligence mm-hmm. to determine where the leak came from and how long was that leak going on? That's another big question, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that makes sense. 
during your process that you were you you've talked to the buyer, you figured out what kind of coverages they want. At what point do you pull a clue report on the property? And and if you could explain to everybody what a clue report is and what it does. Okay. So the clue report actually is part of the quoting process. So as I'm gathering this data and going screen by screen, you know, gathering this information and entering it in into the system, um, it will come up where they want us to run the clue report. Clue being C for comprehensive, L for loss, U for underwriting, and E for exchange. So basically, it's a report that provides us any claim history on the piece of property and on the client, by the way. How far does it go back? Well, the report can go back, oh my, um, five plus years it can go back. But when we write a homeowner's policy, we are looking for the last five years. If you make a claim on your home, it will hang on for five years. It will follow you to your next residency if it's within the five years. So it doesn't go away. It follows you. <laughs> a claim hangs on for five years. Mr. Lender, Tony, <laughs> does that come into play and have any effect on a loan? Let's say if you've got this claim following you mm-hmm. or if you're buying a home and here's a claim that was made on the house three years ago and it was a pretty major claim, mm-hmm. is that going to affect whether or not the lender approves the loan? I'll say indirectly. Uh, and boy, this goes back to our previous episode when we encourage folks to get a hold of Christine way early on in the process. So that if there is some discovery, you know, there, there can be some problem solving along the way. So how could it affect us on the loan approval? Well, when we start the process and Christine's not involved yet, we have to give a reasonable guesstimate as to what the premium is going to be. And we base the qualifying on that. Well, now comes the actual, uh, uh, the quoting of the policy. And if that premium comes in substantially higher, possibly because of that clues report, that can impact the, the qualifying for the loan. If somebody was marginal, if they were right at the limit, and now that more expensive insurance policy causes their house plan to be $50 or $75 a month higher, that could knock them out of the ballpark if we're not careful. Wow. Yeah. Right. And, and from your perspective, you find a, a, a file claim on the property, um, that can affect whether or not you can write a policy on that home, can't it? It, it can. It can. And like Tony was saying, it definitely affects the premium because there's a surcharge is what we're looking at. You know, you are being surcharged for that claim. Um, and again, all this data that's being collected is sent over to underwriting. So they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's and they will give us the go ahead or not. Yeah. You, know, you know, John, I just thought of something on your prior question. What doesn't come into play is our view of the collateral of the home itself based on that report. So Christine's clues report might show that there was a, there was a big fire, there's a big water claim or something like that. Mm-hmm. That insurance data is not going to come back into our world uh, to impact whether we would or would not approve the mortgage. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going okay. with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and from an insurance standpoint, yes, it will in- impact the premium mm-hmm. of the policy. Absolutely. Okay. But having having that information handy can really help avoid some turbulence during the deal and and potentially avoid um, having the deal fall apart completely if you have that information in hand sooner rather than later. So question for you though, John. Mm-hmm. Do you need to know that when you sell the home if there were any claims made? 
Do you need to know that? Does it has I, to be disclosed? Right. It's on the it's on the seller's disclosure statement. So just a, a sorry, just a real quick thing that happened. About three years ago, I was selling this home. Seller filled out the seller's disclosure and said no claims against the house. Had this other agent who was I know everything kind of thing <laughs> and uh, called me up after we had a, a signed deal and said, "Do you did your sellers file a claim against this house um, a few years ago? It looks like there was a water claim. I said, well, my seller filled out the seller's disclosure. He said no. So texted him. We talked and he said no. That was, that was, that was not for that home. I, I own another property in uh, wow. out of state and it was for that home. Mm-hmm. And so called the other realtor back and said, no, it wasn't on that home. Got an email in all caps. Your seller is a liar. Oh, no. <laughs> and so um, and so what happened is that I said, look, I had him send me a copy of the claim form for the house that was in another state. And we resolved that. And lo and behold, the buyer lost his job all of a sudden and couldn't move forward with the purchase. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow. So. How did the agent find out? I mean, was it – did they have an insurance agent friend or what? Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And and one of the things I don't do is I don't try and bother you with every house that a buyer puts an offer on to to print out a clue report for me based on uh, the house that we're looking at. Uh, I, I don't do that with every single house, but – if there's anything on the seller's disclosure that indicates there might have been a prior issue, that's when I'll give you a call, Christine, mm-hmm. and and we'll and we'll do that. But um, it's it's case by case basis, right? And is there a time period that you go back? How far back? Oh, five years is, five years. is about the time. About anything five. beyond five years mm-hmm. wouldn't really affect the policy, would it? No. Okay. No. So I think five years is fair. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How about property hazard reports? Do you pull those at all? Uh, no. No. Okay. Nope. Nope. Okay. You know, I, I, this dialogue reminds me of something here. You know, we all like to play the role of advisor with what we do. And I just think about how online business is done. And when somebody tries to do their insurance in a do-it-yourself mode, where they're just checking boxes on a web screen, they don't have any of this dialogue with a qualified individual like Christine, why you might need the water back up and so on. And uh, boy, as a consumer, they need to hear that because they're just probably just checking boxes and making decisions based on the impact of the premium instead of instead of the, the actual coverage and the risk involved. And so conversation with the agent is invaluable, I think. I appreciate that, Tony. I mean, I actually, I just did a quote yesterday and I could tell that she had done it online. So I asked her. And she, yeah, she said, yeah, I did. (laughs) Yeah. Or does that go back to our previous podcast about doing stuff online? Yeah. Well, we are finding, we have studies that they're showing two out of three people who have purchased online are now buying with an independent agent like myself. Absolutely. Can't self-medicate. No, (laughs) no, no, you can't. You just don't know what you're answering. And that, you know, that came through yesterday. So, um, and believe it or not, my quotes still look good, <laughs> you know, walking away with a lot more coverage, proper coverage yeah. than what she, that, that she needs, proper coverage for less money. That's probably a common misconception. If I buy it online, it's going to be cheaper and it's just not and the case. And it's not. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's not. You definitely need 
the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. You you really do. I mean, especially buying a home, the biggest asset you're probably going to own, right? And everything else mm-hmm. that's in it. It's not just the home. It's all the personal property inside of it. And then yeah. you're caring for your family. So there's liability there too. It's 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 important. So online... It's not the way to go. I agree. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about occupancy. There's a lot of it happening because a lot of sellers may be buying new construction or they were, were scared to shop before their home sold. So we see a lot of 30, 60, and beyond days of occupancy after closing. And occupancy, if you're out there, what that means is you close on the house, the buyer now owns the home, and the seller is basically renting back, paying the buyer rent to continue living in their house for a period of time that was agreed upon in the contract for a per-day price, which is typically the principal interest taxes and insurance cost to the buyer. That's what's covering. Now, the seller still keeps the utilities in their name. They still pay that. Uh, And depending on how long the occupancy is, may determine whether or not that that seller wants to get a rental policy in place just to cover their belongings belongings inside the house. Right. And what we see, John, and I can speak personally um, on my last purchase, um, I bought the house in June and the seller wasn't moving out till November. And we knew that. And you're right. That was all in the closing documents. So I, in turn, not only do I own the home, I have homeowner's insurance, but now I am a landlord. So I went out and I purchased a landlord policy. And I recommended to the seller, in which he did, buy a renter's policy. So now I am insuring the dwelling and, well, all the appliances that are in there. And he, in turn, is insuring his personal properties, his personal belongings. And it worked out very well. How long were they in the house? They stayed, like I said, I bought it in June and they stayed till November. Wow. 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 Yeah. And that was an agreement that we had. That makes complete sense that you would get a landlord policy and and they would get a renter's policy for that length of time. Right. Because I'm insuring the home, I'm insuring the um the floors, the walls, the counters, the cabinets, the appliances. That's my stuff. But I don't want to insure his personal property, his clothes, yeah. his TVs, his furniture. So you as a as an expert, what do you tell your clients when they disclose to you that the seller is going to be renting back afterward for 15 days, 30 days, 60 days? At what point do you as as an insurance agent to your clients offer the advice of you probably want to get a landlord policy at that point. Well, we actually have that conversation when we do the quote, the original homeowner's quote. When I'm talking with a client one-on-one, I'm getting a picture of what's going on. I need to know what's happening and and um, how you guys are moving forward on this. And that way, the more I collect, the better I can advise you. So I will turn to the carrier and some carriers will say, the homeowner's policy is good for 30 days. So if your client who bought the home and the seller's not moving out for 30 days, 
the homeowner's policy is okay. But I have other carriers who will say, we're going to need to get a landlord policy. So that's pretty much dictated by the underwriters from that carrier. So it is my job to relay that to the underwriting department to let them know this is what's going to happen here and advise me so I can advise my client. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, from a lender's perspective, Mm -hmm. zero to 60 days, okay, occupancy-wise, 61 days plus issue. Why is it an issue? What happens if that's disclosed to the lender? Does that freeze the deal? Does it create turbulence um, for for the buyer in particular? And so what do we do in that case? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's an important issue and it doesn't come up all the time and I'd be I would have to tell you it's not caught all the time. So here's here's the the premise on this. When we do a mortgage, we can do a mortgage based on the purchase of a primary residence or we can do a mortgage based on the purchase of a second home or on an investment property. And the investment property transactions are they're more expensive, they're riskier, the rates higher, etc. Primary residence transaction, which is a typical bread and butter, uh, they're, they're less risky, they're more common, and 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 it, it, the expectation if we're doing a loan for a primary residence purchase is that that buyer is going to actually reside in the property, and it may sound picky, but when that when the contract says the buyer is not going to move into the property until ninety or one hundred twenty days later, we kind of start having to turn the screws and say, wait a minute, this really this has stopped being a primary residence purchase. So there's a couple options that can happen. Um, one thing is that if the original contract says 60 days uh, and everybody's happy with that, and then on 59 days, buyer and seller negotiate some more time, that's fine. That's their prerogative. It's after the closing, et cetera. Um, uh, you don't want it to turn into a, a non-owner occupied or investment property transaction. It just changes everything. Uh, the other reality, because people will say, well, wait a minute, my contract had 90 days, 120, 180 days on it, and the lender didn't say anything. It was probably overlooked, quite honestly. That's not really one of the one of the you know the the core risk items that we're going to look at. But if it's caught and it's beyond sixty days, uh, they won't decline the loan. But they they we would probably have to condition that loan to say, no, I'm going to ask the parties to amend that contract. Let's get that buyer in closer to sixty days. Mm, okay. Yeah. But it does create. Some it's turbulence. Yeah, <laughs> it can create some turbulent waters for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Well, uh, I, you know, I had I had one other question. At what point there, there's an area in Southeast Michigan um, that is near a dig site, and my understanding is that the homes surrounding this dig site. Um, have really terrible smells in the summer <laughs> and constantly dealing with dust and dirt and grime on their vehicles in the morning, over their windows. When you're writing an insurance policy, do you take the location of the home into account and other factors like um, you know, near an airport or um, near railroad tracks? And from a lender's perspective – and I know we're running really tight on time, so mm-hmm. if you could both. We'll cut it Christine, short. Yeah. yeah. When when I work a, a homeowner's quote, um, definitely based on territory. So, of course, we need the address. And all of that, that's all actuarial. You don't see that. 
you they know the territory. They know the surroundings. They have the numbers. They know what's going on in that area. Um, I come into play by putting in the right information into the system for the quote, but all of that is, you're not going to see that. It's all actuarial. Um, territory is huge, plays a huge part in the premium. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from a lending perspective, uh, these are that, you know, we're looking at it from a little bit different uh, perspective for us. It's the collateral for the loan, the security for the loan for Christine. It's the cost of, of replacement in the event that there's a claim. So what we're required to do as lenders is, you know, the appraisers are eyes and ears and they're going to, when they're doing the appraisal, one of the things they'll assess is environmental risks and appraisers are not experts in that field, but they'll, they'll give an indication. Hey, it's, it's, it's close to those railroad tracks or it's close to that mining site or it's, it's underneath the power lines or something like that. And then as the lender, we have to make the determination, is this, is this an environmental element that, that impacts marketability? If it's a bona fide impact to marketability, we have a hard time approving that loan. Okay. Doesn't happen a lot. It, it doesn't happen a lot. By and large, because builders are not going to be seeking to build homes uh, in, in areas that are going to be impacted by that because it affects them too. But sometimes it happens over the course of time where, where surroundings change uh, near an existing home. Yeah, yeah. And you see a lot of development uh, mm-hmm. for the electric towers that run through that easement <laughs> yeah. from south all the way north. and. Mm-hmm. All those homes are built outside the fall radius, right? Right, right, right? Because those towers were built to collapse on themselves and not fall over sideways, mm-hmm. lengthwise, which I thought was really interesting. But <laughs> yeah. that was through an FHA loan. Um, well, we've got to go. Another <laughs> really uh, informative podcast. Thanks, Christine. Thank um, Want to have you back again soon to talk about some other things Great. that are happening in the insurance uh, industry and how they affect real estate so we can help our podcast listeners avoid turbulence. So we'd like to thank you again, Christine Sahaski with Custom Insurance Agency for providing great information. And uh, how do people get in touch with you again if uh, they're looking for a great insurance agent? Well, I'd appreciate a phone call to myself, 586-255-3477. Okay, great. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence. If you'd be so kind to subscribe, review, and rate us, we would appreciate it. Please share it with your friends, family, and coworkers that they can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thank you.